gotten to know uh, the Jansen family, Faith and Brian, and their children, Nathan and Abby. They've been not only a longtime fixture here at InTown, but also longtime servants and a friend of this church and uh, served in a variety of ways. And Faith has even joined our staff team in the past year and has done just revolutionary work with our children's ministry. So we're so thankful that this is their home church. And many of you also are aware that they are being called to a different field of ministry, to Taiwan, and that we are glad to see them go. We are sad to lose them at InTown, but we are excited to be able to participate in their mission uh, in Taiwan, and we are going to send them with our blessing. And so next week, we're going to do a short little commissioning service here as a part of our normal worship service, where we actually send them as missionaries from this church. And I thought it would be appropriate to have Brian come and preach at least one more time. Uh, if not, it'll be not, hopefully, the, not the last time he ever preaches here, but it'll be the last time for a while. And so I thought it'd be appropriate for those of you who are, who are not familiar with them to hear about their call, to hear about their heart for the gospel going into new places, and hear about his understanding of mission that doesn't just involve people going to Taiwan, but involves people uh, sharing their lives with people who are in need of hope right here in Portland, right here in our neighborhood. So, Brian, thank you for being available, and he's going to come and bring us the word this morning. Thank you, Brian. I consider it a privilege to stand before you. And I consider it a privilege to be sent out by this church. Uh, I'll share a little bit more about my family uh, before I begin my sermon. Uh, We've attended in town now for over six years, which makes us old timers here. Uh, Faith, as Brian said, I think he used the word uh, revolutionary when he described Faith's work in the nursery. Uh, My wife is an administrative genius. And it is a joy and a privilege to be married to her. Uh, We have been married for nine years. We met while we were teaching English in Guangzhou, China. I always thought that I'd live overseas in another country. I never thought I'd end up in the U.S. first. I've been in the United States now for about nine years, and I recently became an American. God bless America. (laughs) And God bless Canada. Lord knows we need it. Uh, as I said, we have, or as Brian mentioned, we have two, two children. Uh, our daughter, Abby, is five, and uh, my son, Nathan, is three. Abby tends to be our more compliant child. Nathan, this morning, was very determined not to wear pants that weren't soft. Uh, he, is, he, uh, he is quite passionate, uh, which is a good thing, sometimes. Uh, and uh, these... Uh, Personality traits will make him a good youth pastor, hopefully, one day. My family is on a journey. We're on a journey that will take us from the Pacific Northwest to the country of Taiwan. Uh, While in Taiwan, we're going to minister among the working class. The working class of Taiwan make up about two-thirds of the country of Taiwan, around 15 million people. And statistics show that they are only about half a percent Christian. This people group struggle uh, with deep spiritual issues, superstition, ancestor worship, 
fear the spirit world. But they also struggle with social issues. Gambling, pornography, abuse, broken homes. We realize there is much work ahead of us. Our desire is to plant churches among the working class. To bring the hope of the gospel. To bring healing to individuals who will be built up as disciples, developed into leaders, and to take ownership over their local church and to be able to reach their own people and ultimately to reach other nations with the gospel. We realize that this is not short-term work. We are being sent out without a return ticket. This is our life's passion and our life's work. And we are so grateful to be uh, sent out by in-town Presbyterian. Uh, We are grateful for this church and we are grateful for your partnership. Uh, As Brian mentioned, today I will preach on missions. And uh, before I jump into that, I would like to pray and then read our scripture for today. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you the way that you are moving here in Portland, in our church, in our church here at InTown, the way that you move in our own lives. We're grateful, Father, also that you are moving in powerful ways in nations around the world. Give us a sense of awe at the work that you are doing around the world And as we grab onto that sense of awe, to be passionate, to serve you, to know you more wherever you have placed us. As we sang about your love, let us see your love in new ways, the way that it is poured out, poured out on all people. We give you all the thanks and all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please follow along as I read Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you are slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Uh, before I begin, I would like to share specifically the purpose of this sermon. I would like you to see how God is drawing the nations to himself, and how one day he will accomplish this task. But I'd also like you to consider what is your role? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what is your role in being a part of drawing the nations to the throne of God? You see, I hope in your own life you have a passion to know God. But has that passion reached a point where you say, God, not only do I want to know you, but I want you to be known. I want you to be known here in Portland. 
I want you to be known throughout the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon, in Washington. I want you to be known throughout the United States and on to the nations. Not everyone will be a missionary and sent to another country. But I do firmly believe that all Christians should be world Christians. That all Christians should have a heart for the nations. You see, we can look around the world and I think be excited and inspired by what God is doing in all of these different countries. Uh, Today, in communist China, more people worshipped than so-called Christian Europe. Which is incredible when you consider in 1970 there were no legal churches in China. It was only in 1971 that Mao allowed one Protestant and one Catholic church. It is probable that the growth in Christianity in China in the last 30 years has been the greatest growth Christianity has experienced in its history. Today, more Anglicans worshipped in Nigeria than Anglicans in Great Britain, Canada, and Episcopalians in the United States combined. Today, more Presbyterians worshipped in Ghana than in Scotland. Today, more Presbyterians worshipped in Sub-Saharan Africa than in the United States of America. In South Korea, it is probable that sections of the city had traffic jams as people made their way to church. Approximately one-third of South Korea is Christian. And again, if you go back only 100 years, about 1% of of Korea was Christian. And the Korean church prays. Today, in Mongolia, 20 to 30,000 people met to worship God. And again, if you go back only till 1990, there were four known Christians in Mongolia. That's not 4,000 or 400 Four. Today, the most Baptist region in the world is the Indian province of Nagaland. Mississippi comes in a distant second. Now, I realize in all of these situations, in all of these different countries, there is much training and discipleship that needs to occur. But I do not think that we can deny the fact that God is moving, that God is drawing the nations to himself. Yet while we hold this truth, I think that we can also not deny the fact that there is still much work to be done, that there is still much work to be done among the nations. This sermon will have two major sections. I'd like to focus the first part on uh, the task and results of missions, and then after that, look at what is, what is your task in missions? How can you be involved in missions? So let's begin with talking about the task and results of missions. Uh, what is missions? I'd like to define it. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice if we, uh, if we make the definition of a term so broad This is how I'd like to define missions. 
I see Christian missions is when Christians go from one culture to a different culture to make disciples. It is, it is joyfully bringing the gospel to the nations of the world. Now, when I speak of nations, I'm speaking not of uh, the different colors on a map. I'm, I love maps. If I could decorate my whole house with maps, I'd have maps everywhere. Uh, what I'm speaking about with nations are different ethno-linguistic groups. Okay, big word that essentially means specific cultures with their own language. A missionary leaves their own culture and goes into it. Ultimately, a missionary desires for local people to be able to grab on, to take hold of the gospel, for lives to be changed. And for the missionary, it is a great thing to be worked out of a job. I have a friend who was in uh, Kenya. About 20, 25 years ago, he went to Kenya and ministered among students. About 14, or about 15 years into his ministry, he looked around and he realized, the people I discipled 15 years ago are now doing the work that I was doing 15 years ago. It caused a bit of a life struggle, but him and his family moved back to the United States where he received more training and went back to Kenya to teach in a seminary. You see, his original task was completed. The locals could do the work. I'd like to say that the task of missions is a humanly impossible task. Yet it is a divinely guaranteed task. We know and we trust that God works in impossible ways. The assurance is given in our passage today. In Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And I'd like you to look back at this passage. You see, this passage in Revelation 5, 9, and 10, it starts back at Revelation 4, 1, where John says, a door opened to heaven. And I don't know about you, but if I'm reading scripture and it says a door opened to heaven, I want to lean in. A door's opening to heaven. Oh, this has got to be good. What's going on here? Okay? So here we are, Revelation 5, 9, and 10. In this section, a song is being sung in heaven that gives praise to Jesus. And why is it giving praise to him? Because he has redeemed people. What kind of people? From all nations. Follow along as I reread it. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you are slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Consider this. Christ's sacrifice made it possible for God's people from all nations to be both royalty and priests. Why is this important for missions? What hope does it give us I think we have to recognize that the fact that the nations will worship around the throne of God is part of God's design. It is not a coincidence 
It is not a coincidence that at some point in history, all the nations will stand around the throne of God and God will say, oh, look, there's everybody here. This is the way he has designed it. Eternal worship will have the greatest diversity of worshipers with the greatest unity of worship. This is what I call the culmination of missions, is when all the nations are there worshiping before God. And while it occurs in the future, I think the fact that it is guaranteed gives us encouragement and and excitement in the moment. It should give us hope for today, for the task of missions. God will accomplish drawing the nations to himself. He will accomplish it. But how does he do it? Our God is a God of means, and his chosen means to draw people to himself are to, is to use his disciples, his followers. He uses you, and he uses me. So this is the culmination of missions. But now let's take a step back at the commission of missions. The Great Commission is probably known to be uh, the most well-known passage on missions. Jesus gave this commission to his disciples after he had died, risen from the dead, and was about to ascend into heaven. Uh, the passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is in your bulletin. If you'd like to turn back to it, you can, or turn there in your Bibles. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If we read this in English, it appears that there are four main verbs. Go, make, baptizing, and teaching. But actually, in the Greek, there is only one main verb, make. What kind of disciples are we supposed to make? Disciples of all nations. The other three verbs in English, go, baptizing, and teaching, are actually participles describing the act of how do we make disciples. See, the Great Commission is a call to make disciples of the nations. And it comes with promises. Look back at this passage. Jesus begins by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he ends it with, And surely I am with with you always to the very end of the age. I believe that it is both the authority of Jesus and the presence of Jesus that equips us, meaning believers, for the task of missions. Today, we live in this time period between the Great Commission, when we are called to make disciples of the nations, and the great culmination of missions, when the disciples are made and standing around the throne of God. We have the results seen and known, but we also have a call to a task call to be involved. So let's look at your role in missions. Let's discuss first your heart for this task. 
I believe that you should be and can be emotionally and spiritually drawn into what God is doing around the world. But I also believe that while we can love the nations in theory, all the nations of the world, and stand in awe of what God is doing in reaching the nations, that there is also something important about allowing our heart to break for the individuals and the families that comprise these nations. I would like to share from a book. uh, This is a book called Dead Women Walking. And it was written by a young lady with my missions organization about her um, work among women who were in the working class uh, in Taiwan. This is what she wrote. The first time I wept for Taiwan was on my way home from a church service in Kaohsiung, a city in the southern part of the country. The speaker had just preached on Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Following his sermon, the speaker issued an invitation. If any of you participated in these kinds of practices and are willing to confess your sins, please come forward, he said. To my horror, almost every single Taiwanese person in that room filed toward the altar. With this image still fixed in my mind, I turned the corner into my neighborhood. Suddenly, the Lord opened my eyes to something I hadn't seen before. I noticed that looming behind the screen doors of almost all my neighbors were ancestor shelves, topped by red lamps that made the whole street glow like the West does at Christmas time. I drove around and around, hoping to find a sign, any sign, of a Christian presence in the neighborhood. But I found none, so I wept. I believe that you are, if you are to engage in the task of reaching the nations. There is great value in having your heart break for the nations, but then the individuals and families that comprise these nations. I believe that Christian missions seeks to give hope for eternity, but it also seeks to give grace and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ for today, for individual lives to be changed. God is moving in dramatic ways, but there is still a great spiritual need among the nations. This need should motivate us to care for those who do not have the hope of the gospel yet. God will work through his people, but to him and to him alone be the glory. Let the spiritual need of the nations draw you to involvement, but also... Consider how God has worked in your own life. I believe that it's hard to have a passion for spreading the gospel, to give hope to others, unless you are living and delighting in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ yourself. There's a well-known quote by Hudson Taylor in which he says the following. If I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives... China should have them. 
No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? And I've seen this quote a handful of times, and sometimes they stop it in the middle. And I always say, why are you stopping it in the middle? China should have them. And then he says, no, exclamation point. Why is it no? Because it's for Christ. Our heart for the nations is because Jesus Christ is alive and well in our own lives. We need something to share. I grew up in a very missions-minded church, and I'm grateful for that. But I remember when I was a teenager thinking, is the whole point of Christianity to talk about Christianity to other people? And I would say, no. It's for us to delight in who God is, to be so excited about this relationship that is life-changing that we say, oh, this is so wonderful. I want people to know. And I believe that that's true here in Portland, but it's also true for people to know around the world. Do you have a heart for the nations that do not know Jesus Christ yet? Do you have a heart for those who are enslaved to spiritual forces? The nations are without hope until they know Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ has worked in your own life, seek to develop a passion for moving it outward. Uh, There's an illustration I like to use when describing personal involvement in missions, and it's connected to uh, my family and baking. Uh, In my family, whenever we bake, the kids like to be involved. So if any ingredients are being brought out to the shelf, Abby and Nathan, they just know. They'll grab chairs and start pushing the chairs uh, to the counter. And they climb up on there. And see, um, we'll measure the ingredients, but they dump the ingredients in. And we'll put our hand on the top of the spoon and the bottom of the spoon, but their hands are in the middle. And in their mind, they're stirring. We're just kind of getting in the way. Okay? And at the end, they say, we made carrot cake. And we say, yeah, we made carrot cake. And they see themselves as being deeply involved. And I see, in, in a sense, there's a connection to missions. God is the one who will work, but he allows us to hold the spoon. He allows us to find our joy in reaching the nations. But he is the one who will accomplish the task. I'd like to close by sharing a couple practical ways that you could consider being involved in missions. Uh, First, learn. I think that uh, when we learn, uh, it should lead to um, passion And passion should lead to action. Now, we live in a world that we are bombarded so much by information. Uh, Consider how you learn and be strategic about it. There are great Christian missionary biographies. There is a book called Operation World that speaks about what is going on in different countries in the world and how God is working there. There are some very good, solid websites on missions. There are also some terrible ones. Uh, inform yourselves about the missionaries in this church. And also, learn about God's heart for the nations. See it in Scripture. Be willing to learn. That's the first one. Learn. Second, pray. 
Uh, the Puritans had a saying, uh, pray until you pray. Which, uh, I taught Bible to Christian school. When I'd say that to them, they'd say, pray until you pray. Okay. Uh, I think that there's something to quieting ourselves down enough that we are focused in our prayer and in our busy, hectic lives. It takes effort to pray. It's not something that just comes naturally, at least not for me. If it comes naturally to you, please talk to me after because I'd like to learn. It takes effort to pray. Pray for what God is doing around the world. Pray for missionaries that God places upon your heart. Learn about certain regions that you're passionate about and find out what God is doing there and pray for it. Be willing to pray. So we have learn, pray, third, mobilize. Uh, Mobilize, I see, as teaching and training about missions. If you are involved in some type of leadership position here, see how you can be a part of teaching more about what God is doing around the world. And I think especially with young people. It can, I know for myself, it inspired me when I was young to hear stories of how God was working around the world. But I think with young people, it doesn't have to be God is working over there. Uh, sorry, not doing too much here. It's the same God that works powerfully over there is the same God that works powerfully here. To enlarge their picture of who God is. Teach and train, mobilize about missions. Next, welcome. The nations are coming to the United States. Uh, There are many people who are coming to study in the United States. And uh, I'd like to specifically highlight focus ministry at Portland State. I emailed Karen Carlson, who works with focus, and said, What are your needs? And this is what she said. We need conversation partners. We need homestay people who will host an international for anywhere from a week to a year. We need a kitchen coordinator for the Friday night coffee house. And we need people who are willing to teach ESL. Shortly after my wife and I were married, we uh, worked with an organization called ISI International reaching out to international students. And I have to say that this is the most joyful experience I've ever had in ministry. Uh, People that want to know you, and they are interested, maybe not always seeking, but at least interested in hearing about your faith and who Jesus Christ is to you. Welcoming can also be a great springboard to going. Another, Another way to be involved, send. Uh, With sending, we often think of there's the financial component, but it is much more. I think it is emotionally uh, connecting with your missionaries and sending them out. We are grateful to be sent out by this church and to have a commissioning service next week. Uh, There are logistics that can help in sending out as well. Have an ownership in the work that is being done by the missionaries in this church. Love your missionaries. Lastly, go. Consider going either short-term or long-term. Faith and I would be honored to have a short-term team from in-town Presbyterian come and join us 
in Taiwan to see the work that is being done, but also to take part in it. Uh, in regards to going, there's a story that I heard that I thought was very interesting. A guy named George Scott. He was a one-legged school teacher in Scotland in the 1800s, and he approached Hudson Taylor and said, I want to go to China. And China, was just, China Inland Mission was just getting started. And Hudson Taylor looked at George Scott and said, with one leg, why do you want to be a missionary? And he said, I don't see people with two legs going. We are so prone to see our shortcomings. I couldn't do that. Okay, maybe you can't without God's grace. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about learning either Mandarin or Taiwanese. I need God's grace. How do you step into another culture? It pushes us towards him. Going on a short-term trip or even long-term might put you in a position where you are so uncomfortable that you have to rely on Jesus Christ in new and special ways. Now, this city that uh, George Scott went to, Wenzhou, China, is today considered to be uh, nicknamed the Jerusalem of China. It has six million people, of which they estimate there are 600,000 Christians. Now, I recognize George Scott wasn't the, um, the only reason, or the only person who has worked here. But isn't that amazing? 600,000 Bible-believing Christians in a Chinese city of 6 million. And a one-legged school teacher from Scotland who said, send me. Ask yourself this question. Is God calling me to go? Now, I began this sermon with a question, and let me ask it again. Uh, what is your role in missions? The divine task of the nation standing before God will be accomplished, but God allows you to have the joy of being involved. God's work will occur. Now, will you go or will you send? How will you learn more about missions? How will you pray? You are commissioned to be involved. Now may God bless you and bless in-town Presbyterian, but let us not hold on to this blessing and grab hold of it like this, but let it flow out from here. And may the nations find their joy in Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, enlarge our picture of who you are and what you are doing. Let us stand in awe of the fact that you are drawing people to yourself from all different corners of the world. And in each one of our lives, inspire us to consider how we can be involved in what you are doing to reach the nations. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.